Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. Um, earlier, we've got a guest speaker, Chick Yule, and I'm going to invite him up now. So please give him a really warm welcome. Thank you. Now, over the last um, probably about 25 years, I've heard Chick many times, and so delighted that you're here. And I'd just like to ask him a few questions. Sure. Firstly, um, you've written loads of books um, over the years, oh, so loads of books. Um, but what I hadn't realized is that you started to turn to fiction. Yeah. And so can you just tell us a little bit more sure. about that? Yeah, I've, I've written books on uh, discipleship and spiritual warfare, a whole variety of stuff. I began to get a bit antsy about that. I hope they all did some good. But the challenge that I kept feeling was they'll only ever be read by Christians. And the story we have to tell needs to go much wider than that beyond the walls of the church. And I began to reflect on the fact that Jesus, more than he preached, told stories. So I thought, I want to write some stories. So I, I, I had a go at a first novel, Rooks at Dusk, and was amazed at the reception of the thing. I'm, and then I've written a second novel, uh, The Man Who Broke Into St. Peter's. I'm, really, it's a story about what would happen to a church and a community if Jesus actually turned up. And again, overwhelmed by the reception. I'm, so that's what I've been doing, uh, trying to tell stories. They don't preach at people, but the gospel story is there running through like a thread. Thank you. And um, your ministry largely now is about preaching and speaking at places. So how do you feel that your writing actually runs alongside your ministry? Well, it's just another great way of communicating with people. And writing, as I say, helps me communicate to people who are not in the pews on Sunday. You know, I want to write the kind of books that you could give to a non-Christian friend without them feeling preached at or got at. But by the time they read it, they might start asking you some very interesting questions that allowed you to give some very interesting answers. Thank you. And um, you're actually doing something um, really nice with the proceeds We're and the royalties. We're always doing something nice. <laughs> with, the, with the royalties. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, the, Margaret and I recently, though we look much too young, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Thank you. The Queen has already sent Margaret a letter. <laughs> I'm... But we're very grateful for all that God has done for us. So we decided that what we would do with the books was all of the royalties go in their entirety to a Christian charity called Church Response for Refugees, helping to settle Syrian refugees in this country. Not only that, we then took the risk of buying a thousand copies for ourselves, which means that besides the royalties, if people order a book directly from us rather than from their bookshop or Amazon, we can give another one pound from each book to Church Response for Refugees, which means that over the last year or so, we've been able to give somewhere over 2,000 pounds to that charity uh, with the help of people who bought a book and I hope read the book too. Fantastic. So you're going to be at the back along with Margaret at the end of the service, aren't you? So um, we all have the chance to buy a book. And also, I think that if we're good, you're going to sign it if I we ask. I, and just to say, and please don't be shocked, 
because Scotsmen do not often make free offers. The books are 8 99 each, which is a fancy way of saying £9. So if you bought both uh, Rooks at Dusk and The Man Who Broke Into St Peter's, they would be £18. But if you buy both, they're only £15. And also, if you buy both, we'll throw in a copy of a book on grace entitled A Terrible Beauty, which I wrote some years ago. Brilliant, thank you. You're a great interviewer. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on to you now. So thank we need, you. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. <clears throat> right, can I? Yeah. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you very much. Um, this is a watch. Now I know you've seen a watch before, but I wanted to show it to you because there are some preachers who only have calendars. <laughs> and your only guarantee with those guys is they'll stop on the same day they start. I've got a watch, <laughs> and I'll keep an eye on the time. Let's begin by reading scripture. And I want to read to you from Joshua chapter 1. The first chapter of Joshua, and I'm beginning to read right at the beginning. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. The territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. There's a little more to that chapter, but we'll pick it up a little later. Joshua the book of Joshua begins at a time of transition. Remember those opening words? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, now then. It is for the people of Israel the end of their sojourning in the wilderness. But the promised land is not yet theirs. But they do have the promises of God. It is what the philosophers sometimes call the people of Israel are in a liminal space. A liminal space is the time between what was and what's next. It is a place of transition and waiting and knowing 
and learning. You as a church are in a time of transition. In a few weeks, a couple of months, you will welcome a new senior pastor. The world in which we live is in a time of transition. It's more than 50 years ago since Bob Dylan joined the prophets and sang, Come, senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall. For he that gets hurt is he who has stalled. There's a battle outside and it's raging. It'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls. For the times they are a-changing. And indeed they are. The old certainties are disappearing. They're disappearing in politics where the old division of right and left in politics has been blown apart by the Brexit crisis. They're disappearing, those old certainties, in ethics and morality. I sometimes say to churches when I lead a seminar and this kind of thing, we are now in a world that is really complicated in, in the case of right and wrong. We are in a world that no longer believes in hard principles, but is very sensitive about what you do to people. It is a complex, difficult world. And this passage, we could not read a better passage of scripture facing such a world and you as a church in that liminal space where you wait for a new pastor to arrive. And now this sermon comes with a health warning and the health warning is mainly for me because some of you may have said, I'm really fed up with preachers who get everything into three neat points, all that happen to alliterate. Well, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to do exactly that this morning because this is a passage of scripture for me that three words, three words shout out to me from this passage of scripture. There is the word law, L-E-W. There is the word leadership and there is the word land. And each of those has much to teach us. So let me begin with law. The law God gives to his people. Right at the heart of God's words to Joshua in verse 8 of that chapter are these words. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. We need to understand what the law was and is in the Old Testament. We tend, understandably, to assume that the law means simply a bunch of rules that you have to obey. And certainly the law in the Old Testament included many rules, but that was not the heart of the thing. The law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, were not just rules. See, that was the failing of the Pharisees to reduce the law of the Old Testament to a bunch of rules. The law, the Torah, that was not primarily rules. It was the revelation of who God is and what God is like and what God wants his people to be. It is a revelation and a record of what God has done, 
is doing and what he wants his people to do. The key, of course, is in that word, meditate. Meditate on the law. You just need to think about that. You do not meditate on a bunch of rules. You meditate on a revelation. You sit with it. You absorb it. And you let it begin to shape you. And when scripture speaks here of the law, it means not just rules, it means God's word, God's will, God's way, God's wisdom revealed. That's what Joshua is to reflect on. It's there in Psalm 1 that we all know. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of walkers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And in the Old Testament, that sense of the law carries with it a promise. But it carries with it what I might call a conditional promise. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Moses is about to receive the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And what does God say to him? Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It is a conditional promise. If you meditate on the law, if you live by the law, you will be my people. And the challenge for us, thousands of years later, living in a very different world and in a very different dispensation, is what does all this mean for us today? It's one of the things that as you go through this series on Joshua, you will constantly encounter. How do we interpret this? How do we apply this for today? There is an answer that is both simple, easy, and yet profound. What is the law for us today? You just need to read your New Testament to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians, Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God, all that Joshua was to meditate on when he meditated on the law is there in fuller measure in Jesus who is God's word, God's will, God's way, God's wisdom. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. If I know anything about this liminal period in which we are living, this time of, of confusing transition, it is this. If you forget everything else I say this morning, remember this. If I know anything, it is this. We need to know Jesus better than we have ever known him before. We need to walk more closely to Jesus than we have ever walked before. We need to love him more passionately than we've ever loved him before. The law of Moses becomes for us the love of Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus, being obedient to Jesus, is not like saying yes to your boss when he asks you to do something. 
It's much more like saying yes to your spouse. <laughs> 50 years ago plus, when we stood at the front of a church and the officiating minister, who was Margaret's dad that scared the life out of me, <laughs> when he said, do you take this woman to be your wife? Will you cherish her, love her, honor her? And forsaking all other, keep you only unto her as long as you both shall live. I did not say, wow, that's a lot. All other, so nobody else. Of course I didn't say because the passion of my heart was for one woman. I wanted to say yes. You see the parallel? Saying yes to Jesus is not grudgingly saying, well, I'll try and live like that. It is saying, I give my life for you. I want to be yours. The law God gives to his people has for us become the love and life that God has given us in Jesus on whom we should meditate and whom we should follow. Here's my second key word, leadership. The leadership God gives to his people. Leadership is vital in any area of life. And in the church, God's promises are usually discerned and delivered with the guidance of good leadership. And I'm going to take it upon myself in preparing you for when your new pastor arrives. Three things you need to do, or more accurately, three things you need to not do. Number one, don't pine for the past. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. Do not pine for the past. Sometimes I say to churches, I want to tell you some bad news and I want to tell you some good news. The bad news is the 1950s are never coming back again. Those days when churches say there were 10 sharabangs at the front of the church filled with kids that parents sent to their Sunday school, they ain't coming back those days. But you want to hear the good news? The 1950s are not coming back. Because God wants to do new things through new leaders with his people with constantly renewed hearts. Do not pine for the past. You honor the past by thanking God for it and facing the future. Here's the second thing not to do. Don't compare your new pastor with previous pastors, either for good or for bad. Let me read you a little bit from Deuteronomy chapter 34. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And listen to this. Since then, no prophet has, has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these signs and wonders, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And Joshua's got to follow that. <laughs> Years ago, when we were in Newark, I sought out a member of the congregation and said to him, 
I need to ask for your forgiveness. And he said, what do I have to forgive you for? I said, please forgive me for not being Bill. Bill was my predecessor. I said, I can't be Bill. That's what you've been asking me for the last year. I cannot and will not do it. I will, by God's grace, be the best me I can. But I cannot be someone else. My gifts, my talents, my weaknesses, my flaws will be different from theirs. Don't pine for the past. And don't compare a leader with their predecessors. And don't forget why a leader occupies that position. That bit I read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 4, tucked between those verses, I skipped a verse because I wanted to save it for now. And tucked between those verses, it says this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded. Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the Spirit of God. Don't forget why the leader will occupy that position. It is because that man or that woman, in your case a man, not going to get into trouble there, but... <clears throat> well, yeah, I will. I do not believe that the God who created us says that there are some things men can do that only men can do. I think we live in a day and in a world and in a time and in a dispensation when God wants all his people to be prophets and leaders. There, I say that I should know. Right. <clears throat> Why is that leader there? Because he or she has a gifting that has been endowed by God and you have endorsed it as a church. So in this liminal period, prepare your hearts and get ready. And get ready. So, the law that God gives to his people, the leadership God gives to his people. Now I want to talk about the land that God gives to his people. This is where it gets really interesting. We've seen the conditional promise, remember that? If you keep my law, if you follow my law, then you will be my people. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is a conditional promise. But now there comes a command that carries a promise that is not conditional, but inspirational. Joshua's first command to the people of Israel. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is not conditional. This is inspiration. This is saying you can do it. And you can do it because I, the Lord your God, am with you. Get ready. Go across the Jordan. Take possession of the land. You can do it, says God. And I will be there, and I am giving you that land. There's a bit of chapter 12 that I didn't read, just trying to tuck everything in in time. But very quickly, if you were to read from verse 12, you would find that the, uh, the tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh 
Uh, interestingly, and you, you, you see it earlier in Scripture, if, if you've read through those passages of Scripture, that those tribes, uh, Moses had allowed them to settle in land on the east side of the Jordan, while the rest of Israel would cross the Jordan and claim that land. And in the passage that we omitted, Joshua says to the people, now that stands, that is your land, but, but, you don't just stay there. You've got to come across the Jordan and fight with your fellow Israelites until the land is won, and then you can go back and settle there. It's a promise with a kind of concession. Yes, God gives that to you, but you don't just settle there. You've got to help take the land. Listen carefully while I say this. Our primary task is not to fill the pews and build the church. Now, stay with me. Stay with me while I complete this. Our primary task is not to fill the pews and build the church. Somebody once said, if you can tell me the health and the strength of your church simply by the number of people in the pews in a Sunday morning, you haven't got a church, you've got an event. And I want to suggest to you that it is not actually our job to build the church. Remember Matthew 16, 18, when Peter has made his great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of your confession of faith, I will build my church. It is not our job to build the church. Our task is to declare Jesus and be the church. Do you see what I'm saying? When we think it's our job to build the church, we get inward looking. Our job, like the Reubenites, and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh is to claim the land. Of course, now don't misunderstand, again, let me put this right. Of course, we must care for the church. And of course, some of us are called to work within the church largely. That's right and proper. I've spent much of my life doing that. So not for one minute do I decry that. But that is not our first task. It is the task of a leader, it is the task of the leadership of a church to equip the people of God so that they go out and claim the land. I love the words of Abraham Kuyper, who said, there is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Sometimes the church seems to me, at least parts of it, to be almost in retreat from that world, to shut away and protect what we have. That is not our calling. I'm weary of people lamenting, you know, they've forgotten the gospel message. Yeah, that's an awful thing, but it's also a great opportunity. Do you realize 
that there's a whole world out there, and this is the first time in this country, in 500 years we've had this opportunity. We have the opportunity of telling the gospel story to people who've never heard it. They haven't had the chance to be immune to it. They just don't know it. We've got the opportunity to tell them. And we've got to claim the land. And th Now this is where it gets really important to interpret Old Testament properly. Of course, we do not claim the land. We all know that. We don't claim the land by taking weapons and, and going out there and, 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 and murdering. And We don't do that. That was a different dispensation. But sometimes Christians can imagine the way we claim the land is we've got to get power. I've heard people say, if we could get a Christian political party, oh, God save us from that. <laughs> if it is true that power corrupts, there is nothing that gets more corrupted by power more quickly than the church. We were not created for power. We were created for influence. That's why Jesus used the metaphor that we are salt and light, we permeate and we penetrate the darkness. What we need are Christian teachers, doctors, nurses, secretaries, garbage collectors, window cleaners, football players, bankers, police officers. You can go on and on who permeate the world with the goodness of God. There's a church in Northern Ireland. This fascinates me. I think it's in Portadown. Grown to a thousand strong, and I think it's 20 years they've been going. They did a very interesting survey of their congregation. They worked out that 2% of the population of their town attended their Sunday morning services. That's a pretty good percentage. I think the population of Poynton is about 15,000, is that right? Somewhere around that. I did some research. Research is preacher speak for, I googled it. <laughs> but you, you, you really don't have a bad percentage of the population of this town. And you could feel very comfortable about that. But this church in Northern Ireland went a bit further. They said, we've looked at it and we've discovered that not just 2%, but 6% of people come through our doors every week attending our parent and toddler club, our lunch, all that kind of thing. And a lot of churches do that and stop there. But they went to a really interesting place. 2% attended their Sunday morning service. 6% came through their doors and benefited from their ministries. Listen to this. They calculated that 62% of the population of that town would have some meaningful contact with one of their regular Sunday morning worshippers. How do you claim the land? Oh, this is, this, what we're doing now is vital. This is where we get equipped, inspired, and sent out. And yes, the good stuff that the church does, caring for people of every faith and no faith, don't let's stop that. But if we're going to claim the land, it will be done. It will be done by people like me and you living out the gospel every day of our lives. Forgive me if I touch you. I don't often do this. But if, if, I do, if, if a forensic scientist were to analyze your cardigan, even from that one touch, he would find a trace of my DNA. 
Imagine that we lived in such a way that everywhere we go, we leave a trace of the gospel. By the way we speak and live and react to people. I end with two things, a story and a poem. Am I okay? I'm okay for two minutes yet. Jump up and stop me if I go on too long. (laughs) Terrible things happen when the church does not claim the land. I take you back to the 1930s. Hitler and the National Socialist Party had come to power in Germany. The church had largely acquiesced in what he was doing. But a few brave souls, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, people like that, began to raise their voices. So the Führer had a great idea. He invited all the leading pastors in Berlin to a meeting in the Reich Chancellery. And he addressed them. And he spoke glowingly about his support for the church. He told them the church didn't need to worry. Their tax-exempt status and their freedom were secure under Nazi rule. And the meeting went swimmingly. And when the formal part was closed, Adolf Hitler moved amongst the pastors, touching one, shaking hands with another, until a brash young pastor working in the suburbs of Berlin pushed his way to the front of the group. A young man by name Martin Niemöller who stood eyeball to eyeball with Adolf Hitler and said, Herr Hitler, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of Germany. The other pastors to their eternal shame were embarrassed and pushed Martin Niemöller to the back of the group. And Adolf Hitler smiled and was heard to say, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. Which is what they did. And millions of Jews died and millions of young men across Europe were killed in war. When the church fails to claim the land, someone else will claim it. And how do we do it? I grew up and spent a lot of my life and a lot of my ministry in a part of the church that really grabbed hold of the military metaphor. We're in a battle. But one of the wisest voices in that part of the church was a frail elderly lady called Catherine Baird. A poet of of great skill, though largely unknown now. And she wrote some words to remind the people in her part of the church what kind of battle they were fighting. That the power they needed was not the power that the world sees as power. And she wrote this. When our invading forces march in every tongue we sing, we are of every class and race, yet we're one in Christ the King. Our master's darkest battlefield upon a lonely height reveals God's sword to everyone. A cross of love and light. God's kingdom cometh not by force, but by the gentle power of righteousness and truth and grace. He triumphs every hour. The good fight is the fight of faith. Heaven's victories are won by us, unarmed, save with the mind that was in Christ the Son. Be strong. And be very courageous. 
meditate on the love and the life of Jesus. And when you walk out this door, begin to claim the land wherever you are, spreading the good news of the gospel and the DNA of the love of Jesus wherever you go. Father, I pray your blessing upon this people standing in a liminal space, in that space between what is past and what is yet to be, a space where we probably hear your voice better if we will listen than any other way, a space where you will teach us and we will learn. A space in which you say to us, get ready, get ready and claim the land. Get ready and be the people of God. Get ready and be the church of Jesus Christ. Get ready and be salt and light to a nation that is in danger of corruption and darkness. Get ready, get ready and be the body of Christ in a world that needs Jesus ever needed him. May your Holy Spirit fall on this people. May your Holy Spirit fill this people. May there be new life. May there be resurrection power. May there be a mighty Pentecost in which your Holy Spirit floods this place. May there be a mighty Pentecost where people are driven out, driven out from worship to worship Jesus with every word they say and every deed they do. May we be the church and may we be the people of God. And we will in all things lift up the name of Jesus and give to him all glory and all praise ultimately every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.